Today's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is brought to you, as always, by ZipRecruiter. You know what's smart? Coming into work when you're sick. Oh, no, that's not smart. What are you doing, nephew Kyle? Reliable. Uh, He's a gamer. He's sneezing all during this podcast. You know what else is smart? Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS to hire the right people for your business. Their technology identifies people with the right skills for your job. Actively invites them to apply. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, Bud Light, did you know not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? That was news to me. Bud Light changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients, so they put an ingredients label right on their packaging. Bud Light brewed with hops, barley, water, rice, no corn syrup, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. Find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly. AB Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. We are also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we have one of my favorite weird things we've written. It was the Dog Oscars. Did you see this, Kyle? I saw it. I saw it. It was all about dog, categories of dog. I mean, who doesn't love dogs? Now, now we're handing out Oscars for dogs on The Ringer. I was very proud of whoever thought of that idea. The Ringer Podcast Network running full steam. The Rewatchables. We did a Stars Born this week. And we have, you know what's coming next week? Dave. I still haven't watched it. You have it. to watch it. Man, Dave. It, I watched it last night. We're taping the podcast today. And it is. Is it just, streamable or you bought it? It's streamable. It's on HBO. All right. Thanks. Yeah. You can watch Dave, and then you can watch the rewatchables with us. Check out all of the uh, Ringer podcasts, though, because uh, we have something for everybody there on the Ringer podcast network. Coming up, Mallory and Jason from Binge Mode. We're going to talk Game of Thrones, but first, KOC, Kevin O'Connor. Right after this, Pearl Jam. All right, Mallory, Ruben, Jason, Concepcion, coming up a little bit later, we're going to try to figure out who is going to be the winner of Game of Thrones. We have odds and a lot of opinions. We're also going to talk about Joe Flacco and the Knicks as well. Kevin O'Connor here right now for The Ringer. Trade deadline was Thursday. Um, six days, we've got to see, see some of the new guys on these teams. And I'll just, I'll start and then you can you can give your answer. Like what's jumped out to me the most with the new guys on the new teams? Gasol looked really good on Toronto. And I, I feel like I underestimated that one in the moment because, you know, they've kind of been spiritless in Memphis in a lot of ways. And just like the energy that that crowd was giving him. And then when you see like his basketball IQ with the other guys in that team who also have basketball IQ, it just like, I was watching, I was like, oh shit, I was sleeping on this one. Um, that was the one that jumped out to me. What about you? I think, you know, with Gasol, like he has a playmaking presence at center for them that they haven't had. Like Valanchunas is a good center. He learned how to shoot threes and space the floor effectively for them. But Gasol's still a better defender, even at age 34, a significantly better passer. And so with Kawhi, like his only real weakness or like the one knock on him is his playmaking. Yeah. And Gasol can help absorb some of that responsibility in addition to Lowry and the other guys I have yeah, now. Yeah, dudes Jeremy were cutting. Too. He was finding yeah. them. I was like, oh shit. It's, um, it's going to be fascinating to see if he, you know, takes the starting role from Ibaka, depending on certain matchups in the postseason, or if they just keep bringing him off the bench and he keeps, you know, bruising guys off the bench. Well, so if he's, to me, it's like, I need to get, if I'm going to win the title with this team, I need to get four rounds out of Gasol. I need him to be healthy and 
moving around well the whole he, time. He, at one point this season, he looked done. Right. And, and, then, and then the past month or so, he's been pretty good, just like he was at the beginning of the year. Right. He had a great start of the year. Yep. He was making threes, dipped to the point that I took him out of the trade value, <laughs> and then kind of rallied back a little bit. But um, He's old anyway, even like with the production. Well, he, my thing yeah. is, could if he's playing 25 minutes a game and just giving them 25 really good minutes a game, that's probably better for him than playing 35 minutes a game. I think, you know? yeah, it's almost like it doesn't matter if he's starting or come off the bench. It's about how do you maximize his production? That's always the, the, the conversation with a lot of players. Can you get more out of him in 25 minutes or more out of him in 33 minutes? Gasol, maybe at his age, he's even able to give more effort over 20 to 25 minutes and sometimes stretch it out to 30 when necessary. And uh, him coming yeah. off the bench is kind of ludicrous, but in a way <laughs> that, you know, could that be like their Bill Walton in 1986 or... You know, we've seen this over the years. He's got these contenders that just have that bench guy who, when he comes in, completely changes where the game is going. And maybe he's that guy for them. And the good thing for them is they gave up two solid bench players. Uh, DeLon Wright and and CJ Miles are, are good players off their bench. Miles has struggled shooting this year. Yeah. But, you know, DeLon Wright is a really good defensive player who had some playmaking. And replacing him with Jeremy Lin, I think, alleviates some of what they lost and what they gave up for Gasol. So are you think, are all the bio guys done at this point? think we're just about there right uh, unless DeAndre I mean, like, gets like like a Robin Lopez type maybe that happens I feel like um, that's going to be Golden State yeah, if that happens we're, we're, we're just about done now yeah so I, I was looking at Toronto and it's early and and we've seen this already with Philly for the second straight year we saw it last year with Cleveland they made those trades they played well for two games everybody had the Kobe Altman victory tour and then they cratered <laughs> Philly we saw it with they looked they had 143 points against a Lakers team that is just an abomination defensively. Everybody's like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And then the Celtics beat them last night. I look at the Philly-Toronto matchup, and we can talk about Philly in a second. And to me, that seems like a classic basketball IQ versus talent matchup where Philly probably has a little more talent, but the Toronto, the coaching part, the way those guys, I think, will eventually learn how to play off each other. I, I would just favor Toronto in that series. And the reason I bring that up is I think that's the 2-3 matchup in round two, unless there's an upset. I don't like that matchup for Philly. What do you see? Well, I mean, I think with Philadelphia, what you mentioned about Toronto learning how to play with each other still, right? I mean, with integrating Kawhi Leonard and everything else, Philadelphia is having to make that adjustment mid-season. First with Butler in November and obviously now with Harris. And with bench and, guys. Yeah, and with the bench they guys had, as well. Mike Scott was out there mm -hmm. yesterday and Simmons when playing the Celtics and... I don't know. They're just bringing a lot of new people. I mean, I I like that trade. Uh, you and I disagreed on that when we it did. first happened. I, I think I think that trade was worth it for Philadelphia because of everything Harris can do. He's a versatile offensive player. I mean, Shamit, his shooting off screens was so damn good for them. But Harris can do that, too. He, he's, he's just bigger and a better defensive player. So Landry Shamit was a defensive liability for that team at a position where they're going to need help. Well, why did he need to be in that trade? You got to give up something. I, I that Miami pick. They gave is up solid. two picks. Yeah, they gave up two picks. But Harris, the really how do you not get player. Beverly back in the trade then? Look, uh, how is Beverly not in that trade? This is why do you need Mike Scott and Jonathan Simmons? Like you know who I want? Patrick Beverly. 
Yeah, Beverly would have been nice to have, but Tobias Harris, we can't underrate him as who an asset. Who are you against? Ha- Harris is a player who can run, pick, and roll for you. He can screen for you and pick or roll, pop or roll. He can run off screens. He can handle dribble handoffs. And th- for Philadelphia, what they're getting is a versatile guy who can play along anybody, or he can be the guy when he's hot. For Philadelphia, the question moving forward for them, in my opinion, is will these guys all buy in to that just philosophy where sometimes on a many nights, guys are going to have to take a back seat. We've seen no. both. The answer I'm telling you they, now is no. You they two, might not. You have two guys who are in line for a huge payday who aren't, they don't want to be the glue guys. And, Jimmy and, Butler doesn't and, want to take nine shots in a game. And that could end up be, end up what's happening where Butler is unhappy and he leaves for a team where he does get shots. That could happen. But it's also possible these guys make a really deep run and that they do buy into each other with their long, versatile lineups that they can have with Embiid and Simmons and Harris and Butler and then insert the fifth in there. Maybe it's Redick sometimes. So you trust the coaching and the basketball IQ of those five guys at the end of games. And you saw it last night in that Celtics game. Mm -hmm. Please, Joel Embiid, keep shooting threes. I'm so happy when you're 26 feet away from the basket when you're seven foot three and you should be able to get Al Horford in foul trouble within 10 minutes. Sure. Uh, With Embiid versus Horford, one of the difficulties in that matchup is Embiid's post game is, is heavily reliant on drawing fouls, which is okay. He's such a force down there. He draws a lot of fouls, but Horford is a guy who doesn't commit many fouls. He's a very, very good uh, fundamental defensive player. So for Embiid, if you look at like his synergy post stats, he's like ranks like fourth and in efficiency, including fouls, but take those out. He's close to average. So if, when you're going against Al Horford, I think he suddenly becomes an average post player, which maybe one may be one of the reasons why he he's pushed out to the three point line granted he's not great that out there either look it's early i hate overreacting anything hayward had one of his best four games of the year and who knows if he can do that again in a seven two game minnesota series. games uh, in this game yeah, this yeah one, and maybe yeah. like one other one um in a seven game series from what we've seen from hayward he just can't consistently play at that level yet on the other hand um he looked different from the first minute of that game yesterday there was an energy that he had that looked like Utah Hayward. And I think what's been shocking about him this year is he's just always kind of a step slow and just not assertive and aggressive. And, you know, the dumbest moment of the whole season was that Laker game when 30 seconds left, no timeouts left. You know Kyrie's going to take it and probably score, right? You have like 80% chance Kyrie scores to put them up by one. Smart's not on the court. Hayward is on the court. Um, Horford stuffs Ingram. Ball's bouncing around. <laughs> Hayward's a step slow to it. Ball goes to Rondo. Hayward's a step slow to him. And it's just like, that's why Marcus Smart's in the league. He's getting that loose ball 100 times out of 100. And at that point, I was like, man, this Hayward thing, this is just a season killer. And then he comes yesterday, and it's like, whoa, there's Gordon Hayward. Where have you been? So I don't, what do I, what am I supposed to it, think about this? It's kind of symbolic of the Celtics as a whole, really. Yeah. Every time it seems like the Celtics have fixed themselves, they just have one of their worst losses of the season. And then they follow that worst loss of the season with a really, really great win like they had against Philadelphia. Without Those Kyrie two really LA losses were an atrocity. Yeah, the Lakers that, staying there up six with a minute left. Um, they're giving up threes to a team that all they want to do is shoot threes. I don't know why they're going to the line. That, that, that loss, the Rondo play, that was awful. And then the Clippers thing was even worse. And that was a key moment of the season for them because they were, I think, like 11-1 and in their last 12 or something. And they had a schedule where you had that Philly game coming. You have a chance to really go on a run. 
And uh, I thought what was fascinating last night, and I want to talk about Philly in a second, but um, just the kind of passion they had last night. The ball was moving. The the defense was as good as it's been. Um, the guys were really pulling for each other. You even saw at the end of the game, people are smiling, they're hugging, they're <laughs> chest bumping. The bench is up the whole time. And I'm thinking, this is a team I really haven't seen this year play like this. And so what was missing? It was Kyrie. So what does that mean? It, it made me nothing. Ultimately, he was also. Or it may mean it, something. It, it, it may mean something. It may it, mean like Kyrie's not here. Fuck that guy. I think let's with, try to win this game I think without with Kyrie once something he said either last month or in December. The, he's like after game 70, that's when you need to be ready for the playoffs. And I think with this Boston team, that's true for a lot of things that they're trying to work out now, including Gordon Hayward, where with Hayward, yes, he's had these two really back to back impressive performances, especially that game against Philadelphia, where, like you said, he looked more like Utah Hayward in terms of his aggression, driving to the rim and his intent. He was on physical. Scoring. Yeah, yeah. And he was like he was driving and. and and kicking out and doing stuff that he yeah. was great at at Utah. For sure. I mean, Hayward's playmaking has been really good all year. Uh, yeah. I, I think Boston giving him the keys uh, like off the bench, essentially being the primary playmaker over Smart and Rozier a lot of the time was a smart move. But but ultimately with Hayward, you need the scoring for him. Like he he's your upside player. If Boston has any chance of getting past these other three teams in the East, Hayward needs to be at least 80 to 85% of what he was in Utah. I think, I think maybe 100% percent of what he was is a lot to ask for his first year back from injury. To 90 would yeah. be. If he can get there, then I think Boston absolutely has a shot to get to the well, finals. I think it's interesting because so much time has passed now, but people forget how good he was in Utah. And there's been this whole thing. Well, he was overrated anyway. So I've, people I've didn't that. really know how great he was in Utah when he was in Utah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, voted, I, I think I voted for him for third team all NBA his last year there. But the thing I liked about his game the most was he just fits in with anything. He's just fun to play with. And I think, you know, he can handle the ball if you need to. He's a 40% three-point shooter on paper, um, can get to the line. He's a really smart defensive player who's always in the right spots. He's just kind of a good guy to have out there. And what was interesting about him this year was just his confidence had gotten shot to the point that he really was a liability in a lot of these games. And I was talking to people I knew at the Celtics, and the recurring theme, it was like, why are they still playing him? Like, is this like a coach's kid type thing? Like he's like Brad's Brad's son on the F- little favorite, team. Favorite he's like, student. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's pitching cause he's the coach's son. And everybody was saying, now you don't understand. He's great in practice. He's killing it in practice. That's why he keeps playing these. It's some sort of mental block with the games. Cause in practice, two out of every four times, he'll be the best guy on the court. That's why they keep playing him. And I'm like, really? Because in the games, there was no, you wouldn't have ever known that he was even good. So Brad obviously is sticking with him. And you, I think you put in our Slack yesterday, you were saying like this was basically their trade deadline edition. Yeah. That was their mindset going into the trade deadline. It's like Hayward's going to be better. That will be our trade deadline. For sure. I had a conversation with someone yesterday that kind of prompted that thought where it's like you look at the additions made, you know, the other three teams in the East, Milwaukee added Meritich, obviously Sixers added Harris, and then Philadelphia adding, um, who did I miss? Toronto Toronto adding Gasol. Uh, With Boston, they didn't do anything. But if Hayward does return to form, he's essentially 
their deadline acquisition, like turning from a guy who is just a, like a glorified Evan Turner at the beginning of the season to if you get Gordon Hayward for the rest of the season into the playoffs, that was your addition. Uh, we'll see if that happens. There's, this could just be another flash in the pan for him like he's had over the full season. Um, but I think the aggression is something that was missing even in those other performances. Well, that there was there, there was, last night. Yeah, that, I mean, if you go, you can go look at, on YouTube, you can look at like Gordon Hayward, like his best plays yeah. in 2017 or something. He was a beast. Talk about, we talked about Harris's versatility earlier. Yeah. Hayward could do everything for that Utah team with his playmaking and, and his ability to drive to the rim, but pull up from anywhere as well. Right. Uh, and, and his versatility on defense too. Hayward was just a really good all around player. There was a recklessness to how he played. And I mean that in a good way where he, like, I should say fearlessness. That when you see the old YouTube clips, you're like, oh, wow, this guy was like, he's going into three people trying to dunk on them yeah, and trying to dunk on people running off screens for lobs like the play he got yeah. hurt on ultimately. I mean, he did that very often in Quinn Snyder's system for the Jazz. I thought um, that Golden State game after that game, I was like, wow, this is this is going to take another year to come back from this because he was such a shell of himself in that game. And then you see the Philly game last night, and maybe that's a breakthrough. I, I think that's what this team needs because, as you pointed out, the his ball handling is basically the second ball handler for that team. You'd think it's Smart and Rogier, but it's really not. It's Hayward's the guy who can he can basically do anything. Um, I thought if they made a trade deadline, it was going to be like an addition by subtraction move. We're basically just trade Rogier with a pick to move like, up in the draft. Like or, flipping him for an yeah, asset that maybe you would eventually try to use for AD. Right. Yeah. Um, and also just to narrow the rotation. Um, maybe, they, the, maybe they should have done that in you know, October, November, December, maybe. The Kyrie stuff, I, I think it's really hurt this team, um, some of the stuff he said. And I talked about on this podcast just about the concept of leadership. And um, I just feel like uh, he's done a bad job. Like if you're like, I'm the guy, he's done a bad job at being the guy. And I think, I think guys got worn out, not just his dissertations on these guys don't understand <laughs> what it takes and all that stuff, which are just like ridiculous. But, you know, this is somebody that, the season ticket holder thing that my dad went to when Kyrie's like, I'm going to be here the day before they had some, some dinner or something when he told everybody in the team that he was going to be staying with the Celtics. And now you fast forward three months and it's like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. It's not a great way to like have a basketball team when you have that much uncertainty with your lead guy. It really does affect guys. He, he shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't that have said season, anything. Like an older thing or whatever. Uh, you know, I think you, you need to take that basic media approach. Like I'm going to decide during the summer. I'm just focusing on basketball. Yeah, say that, that in October. That's what you have to do if you're Katie or Carrie or any of these guys. Uh, I think with Kyrie's leadership, that was the the question when the trade was made. It was a no brainer trade to do that for Boston. It was about, well, what's Kyrie's leadership? What will that be like? I remember, yeah. I think at the time he talked about trying to learn how to become a leader. And that's something he's probably still trying to figure out. And he hasn't done a great job of it, of course. Uh, I think the... By the way, nobody learns how to be a leader, just for the record. You're their leader. You're not. I think maybe maybe there's a lane that you grow into, perhaps. But you still have but, to but, have, but he have a, you. He might have a, a short track as a like leader. Like Al Horford's a leader. A leader by example. Yeah, but just like, Good guy. He's there. He's uh, he's all about team at all times. And 
when you're playing with a guy like that day in and day out, you just want to be a good teammate. To me, that's leadership. He doesn't have to do press conferences sure. to talk about, hey, guys, I'm the leader. And But he's a lead by example guy who's a leader. That stuff a couple of weeks ago wasn't a good move, of course. I think if you But it look, wasn't the it, only time. He did no, it like four course, times it, it during the year. It wasn't. It, 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 it's funny. If you look at like the transcript of that whole quote, should have just cut that down to like one or two sentences. And it would have been fine. But he went on for like two, three minutes, just rambling and rambling. It's like, just say less as a leader, especially, in front, say especially like, in front of the media. Watching, I think Kyrie is spectacular to watch as an individual player, much like Harden is and some of these other guys. He's like He's really amazing. He's watching that guy day in, day out is amazing. He's one of the funnest players in the league to watch for many years now. I'm not sure how he fits into a team framework where you have all of these talented dudes. And the thing that jumped out at me last night with Philly was how the ball was moving and how everybody was involved. And even like the fact that they had 112 points, but Smart and Rogier were five for 22. They didn't really play that. Other than Hayward, they didn't really play lights out. It wasn't like an amazing offense performance, but the ball was moving. They were getting good shots. Everybody was playing hard. And I'd love to know if, if the reason was because Kyrie wasn't in there. You and still- if Kyrie's out there, do guys naturally just kind of fade back because he's such a good offensive player? It's almost like you're like, oh, Kyrie's got this, and you're not as aggressive. I think, but with Kyrie though, it, the, it's not like the ball doesn't move uh, compared to other offenses. No, that's the, true. You know, it still moves. And last I, five minutes, not as much so. Of course, but sometimes you need that at the end of the game. True, you, you need that superstar talent that can get you buckets at the end of a game. Like when you're in the playoffs, regular offenses just break down; they collapse when there's game planning. Game Signing to game. game seven and gets it, Cleveland. It, it's it's like we talked. But last time, I think you mentioned how you want Kyrie to get more shots, but right. I think that comes in the playoffs. Right now, it's about just staying level and trying to maintain that ball movement offense. And then in the playoffs, that's when you may need him to take on a greater role. But my my question, and I don't even really think this is Kyrie's fault. I think he's such a spectacular offensive player. It's almost like uh, it's just an outcome of it's a reality. Um, you just kind of. When you have when you're playing with somebody like that, you just kind of assume they're going to take care of stuff. And when he's not out there, it becomes a situation like the playoffs last year, or like what we saw last night, where everybody's going, "I guess step up." We how are we going to yeah. get to 112 points? I got I got to really start attacking the rim now. And that's the that's the part. How does this team play like they did last night and move the ball like they did last night and play with the passion they played last night when Kyrie's also out there? It, if they can it, unlock that, this is the best team in the East, and I have no idea if it, they can. It may have to be like April 13th or or later. Like that's when the playoffs began. Like that That's what it might have to be for this team just to all play with that level of effort with Kyrie. Like, right, like last night with Kyrie, their backs were against the wall against this new-look Philly team. Of course, you would you would hope that they're going to fight the way that they did. Um, but I get back to that Kyrie quote after Game Seventy. I think that's when, if these issues persist, that's when, or if Hayward is still not the same guy that he was. If there's still all these questions after Game Seventy, I think that's when the conversation is about. Well, well, Boston maybe they're the fourth best team in the East. But if by that point things seem to be at a higher level, Hayward looks better. Then they're they're one of the favorites, just like people expected them. The to Marcus Morris season. quote was alarming. That and was. then he backtracked from it the next day. I, was like, I didn't mean the whole year. I just meant recently. It's like, nah, that's not that really. That was me. the quote that had you put up that Instagram story of the SNL skit, correct? Yeah. yeah. Of that dysfunctional yeah. family it actually, dinner. It actually kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 
he's right because I watch the games and you watch a lot of them too. Mm. And it's like, there was a joylessness with this team a lot of the time that really didn't make sense. I didn't, I noticed it when I went back early in the season and I saw them lose to Orlando and, um, had really good seats and I could watch the body language and all that. And I was with my dad. And at that point I was so bullish on the season. It was probably like the sixth, seventh game. And both of us were like, what's going on here? Why does this team seem so like unhappy? What's happening? Why, why isn't this team super happy? We have a, this is like we're the most talented team in the East. So they've never really been able to get over the hump. And I do think I've talked to a lot of people about it, trying to get answers. And one of the best theories I've heard was that if you have any basketball team, you need, you have like your talented guys, you have your younger guys, you have your glue guys. And the recurring theme I keep hearing is they're asking these young guys who haven't really accomplished anything significant as NBA players yet to be the glue guys. So you're asking Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are still trying to learn who they are as basketball players and trying to be like, Hey, it would be cool if I scored 40 points in a game and where it'd be cool if I made eight threes, like they don't know who they are yet. And you just ask them to do all the dirty work and all the little things and defer to Kyrie. And like, fundamentally that's screwed up. Well, they what do did, you think of that they, theory? Well, they did accomplish one thing last year that might have uh, set the tone for this to, ha- to happen. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals, to yeah. Game 7, where they had a taste of being one of the guys yeah. leading a team to great heights. And then that's taken away. Uh, I think maybe that was what ended up changing the mindset, because I don't think... It, it's all about the individual person and whether they're able to accept that role or not. I mean, like this is an extreme example, but it's not like Kawhi Leonard was handed the keys in San Antonio. He played that glue guy role and grew he into did. a superstar. But you're also you have the you know? Duncan Popovich infrastructure. It, it, and Jimmy Butler, Paul Tony George. Parker, man. Well, I mean, but like there's other guys too on other teams. Paul George, Jimmy Butler were role players first. Yeah. And then they grew into stars. I don't think that's That's what I thought would happen with Jalen. And it might. It, I mean, it could. Jalen's been better. He's been, he's been better second. since what was five weeks early December mid December he's been a lot better on on both ends of the floor I want to I want to talk about Philly we're going to take a quick break hey if you're listening to this podcast you've already figured out smart ways to spend your time here's another one the New York Times crossword app a fun clever way to stay sharp every day there's a new puzzle a new opportunity to challenge yourself and play and now with the mini crossword you can squeeze in a game in just a couple minutes each mini puzzle is stimulating quick more important fun Play by yourself, challenge your friends, post your best times to share the satisfaction that comes from solving. Whenever you have some downtime, discover wordplay every day. Time well spent. My dad has now been sucked in to this. Uh, he was always like a newspaper crossword, crossword guy, but now, now he's both. Now he's also an app guy. You can be like him. Download the New York Times crossword app. He's a two-time champ just in the last four months. Not of the crossword app of of sports, because you know the the Red Sox won a World Series, the Patriots won a World Series. Anyway, the New York Times crossword app it, it is at nytimes.com slash mini. We're talking about glue guys. And to me, this is the key for whatever happens with Philly. Cause you have these five guys for them to really truly succeed, like to have the basketball. Tobias Harris having the best year of his career in the Clippers, they're running all kinds of plays through him. He's getting a lot of shots. Now it's like, there's only so many shots in a basketball game. Embiid's got to eat. Simmons likes to have the ball. Butler's probably happy in the 15 to 18 shot range. Harris is used to 18 shots from when he had the Clippers. 
JJ needs to come around the picks and get his threes off. I don't like the five guys together in a playoff series in crunch time when it really turns into nut crunch time because I think I think it's going to be really hard for the five of them to get into a flow. So what am I missing? I think it's the same question that it was after the Butler trade. How do those main three? How do those main three coexist? Embiid, Simmons, and Butler. I think that's still the main question. Where I don't think Harris is necessarily. You don't think much Harris of, screws that I, up? I don't. I think Harris is is so much of what he did with the Clippers was coming off ball, coming off screens, coming off triple handoffs. It wasn't like he was just isolating, running pick and roll after pick and roll. He did that, but he can also do other things like he has in the past as well. So I don't think Harris is necessarily the guy who could screw that up. But is he overqualified for that role? Like in the Boston game yesterday, he ended up taking the biggest three of the game. It's like, should he be taking the biggest three of the game? He very well might be overqualified for that fourth guy role. Yeah, he could be. uh, But I I don't think it's a bad thing to have an overqualified player in that role. I mean, I personally think that they know Butler's not coming back. We've heard a lot of there's been rumblings inside yeah. rumblings about uh, that's not the happiest situation, and that Harris was going to be the, he'll eventually be the third guy, and they're hoping they can figure this out for this year. For me, it's like here's how you figure it out: Butler has to be like, I'm good with nine to ten shots a game, and I will guard the other team's best player, and I will do all the gritty work. Um, and I'll do whatever it takes to win. I personally don't think he's wired that way. I think he feels like he's one of the best 13 guys in the league. Well, if he feels he's that, not going to be the glue guy. If he feels that way, that's fine as long as he's willing to accept his role. I, I still think what it comes down to is how does Brett Brown evolve this offense? They rarely ever ran pick and roll until uh, Butler had that complaint on December 30th. Since then, they've run a little bit more pick and roll with Butler, but really not the rest of the roster. I think... If they're able to implement an effective pick and roll offense with Butler handling, you really think Brett Brown can do this at this point I, of the season? I mean, it's hard. That's what needs to happen over the All Star break. I I want to see if post All Star they come out running more pick and roll. I I still think putting Ben Simmons in a screening role where he can short roll down the lane like Draymond Green and just pick a part of defense or score uh, or or having Embiid pick and popping. I think the amount of versatility, if you're putting the ball in Harris's or Butler's hand in the pick and roll just creates a lot of issues for defense. The the issue is it, it comes down to, again, how will floor spacing be with Embiid, Butler, and Simmons? Simmons has only shot one real three in his career. Uh, Embiid is a 30% three-point shooter, and Butler is not a significant spot-up shooting threat. That's where I wonder, how do you find the best combinations? Like, what are the best matchups? I still think Butler running more pick-and-roll, Simmons using that Draymond, Blake, playmaking role in the half court is how you can maybe best maximize these guys in the fourth quarter rest of the game. That's when you let Simmons you really dominate. Do you see that clip when LeBron was playing like 15 feet oh, off him? I mean, that's the way teams are going to play him in the playoffs. Cause he's unless and he proves that he can be a Embiid level three point shooter, like 30%. Oh, that's not happening. It's not going to happen. I think when Simmons where, posts where up, do you think, where do you know what I need to think he needs to do? That's your thing. I am terrified when Simmons is posting up within like six feet of the basket. If even if it's eight feet, it goes wrong because then he shoots that terrible turnaround. Yeah, yeah. that that shot's awful. But I like when he's gonna get to his right hand hook. That's a good shot for him. Right hand hook, which you know, if you put him on the block where he can turn into the paint with the right hand hook, but then if I'm playing D. I can't really double him because they have so many shooters. I guess you could double him with Embiid's guy, but the other guys you can't double off of. 
and he can turn in the land of that right hand hook basically against anybody shorter than Marcus Morris. Well, and- I feel like that's their best offense. But I, when I watch the Sixers, I'm always like, this, this, I just would love to see this in somebody else's hands. I don't, I'm not a Brett Brown believer at all. Well, I'm not necessarily a believer either. I think the fact they don't run enough pick and roll as is is really surprising. With the personnel that they have, it is just perfect for a heavy pick and roll offense. I yeah, think. it's just well, especially perfect. now. ESPN had that yeah. piece over the weekend about how Harris's season took off when because the Clippers were just all of a sudden running him yeah. on all these picks and how good he was shooting either the picks. as the as the ball handler or the guy screening. I just think. It, all these guys can do that. They can be used in either role. So you think about if teams switch the matchups, you can get the difficulties it could cause for the defense. If they're dropping on pick and rolls against certain guys or hedging on others. I just think the pick and roll for them could be devastating with that five. Who would you lineup. run it with with Harris? With Harris as the pick and roll ball handler. Yeah. Could be even bead could be Simmons. Or you could even do it with Butler if you're trying to get a mismatch for somebody. Would be fun. Yeah, I just I just think that those guys can work together, but the offense needs to be tweaked. And to your point about the post up, it's not just scoring for Simmons either. It's the playmaking. Yeah, I mean, think about think about like the posts in today's league, the way the Warriors use Durant and Draymond Green. Uh, you want a bucket from KD because of who he is as a scorer, but a lot of the time he's just looking to pass first and then looking to score. And that's Kevin Durant. Simmons with his passing and vision, uh, that might be the most valuable tool for him in half court offenses where there's other three point shooters around him. I it could work really well in Philadelphia if they make the right. I tweaks. wish he was on a different team. Just, I'm not even saying that as a Celtics fan, just as a basketball fan. I wish he was on a team that used him the way like Milwaukee uses Giannis, yeah. where it's just like, we're going to play with a crazy pace. You're going to have the ball all the time. And every other person on this team has been picked to make you succeed. And maybe that'll happen three years down the line. But um, part of the problem for me is, you know, I think like ultimately his destiny would be like how the Lakers use magic in 87, 88, 89, where he was like, he's running the breaks, he's doing all that stuff. And then the half court kind of becomes, you know, he's down in the low post, things are running yeah. through him and his passing. I want to see that version of Ben Simmons at some point in my life. He's only like 22. So I'm sure we have plenty of time. There's, but, been, uh, there's been hints of it. Yeah, I just want to see that greater it's tough volume to do with, with him. Embiid, yeah. though. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers worked it out with Magic and Kareem, but it really took until Kareem was like 40 and kind of falling apart as an asset for Magic to kind of grab the car keys from uh, Milwaukee really quickly. I love the Meritage trade. How can you not, really? I, it's perfect for them. I said this last week. I, I thought that's what Phil, I would have. If I'm Philly, I'd rather keep my assets and just get Meritage, and I feel like I have enough and I'm getting a lot of the same stuff from him. Butler, I mean, uh, Harris is almost like, I mean, he brings so much to the table, but they didn't really need all the things he brings to the table this year. You know, they might need it next year. Um, Anyway, Milwaukee, best player in the conference. They're going to have home court. I think they're going to be really tough in Milwaukee. They were good in the playoffs last year in Milwaukee. They get good crowds. Uh, All kinds of three-point shooters. The X factor for me is Bledsoe, who has been good this year. I still don't trust him. Maybe their second best player. I don't. I still don't trust him. I mean, with because ultimately you're going to be in like a. It's going to you're down three two in a series in Toronto, and there's four minutes left, and the other team is just sagging on Giannis, making it impossible. And it's like at some point, 
that's when your point guard's trying to create stuff. I just don't trust them. Maybe that's where you do what we just talked about with Simmons, where you're posting Giannis, which they've done yeah. at times this season with surrounding him with shooters. It, it, it's it's amazing watching this Milwaukee team versus the last couple of years, just how different they are. Yeah, the system with the the they they just get so many layups and so many three pointers. What we were talking about last year it, on this podcast, yeah. it's like, oh my it's god, this is like the worst version of all of this. Yeah, talent they I have. I mean, like last year they could only play, they could only have spacing with Giannis at the five. Yeah, and, and now, like that that was unsustainable because with Giannis playing him at center against other big men, you just can't do it. There's right. not enough size in the front court. Your rebounding's horrible. But with Giannis now, you could put him like the three or four uh, with Brook Lopez, Ilyasova, Miritich these big floor spaces that allow you to play with size and space for him. It's, it's really, they made the right personnel moves to put this team in this position. And then Budenholzer, are just the tweaks he's made to this system on both ends, but particularly on offense. It, it's remarkable that the, the leap that they took from one year to the next, it's really kind of uh frightening to me as a Celtics fan, because this might be the one four matchup. They have multiple guys who just killed the Celtics. Meritage is like a Celtic killer. Um, Brooke Lopez had huge games against the Celtics. Even before he could shoot threes. Yeah. (laughs) On the Nets would just like single-handedly like wreck the Celtics. Uh, And then Giannis has always been a problem. Yeah. Um, Middleton is somebody that by the end of that playoff series last year, it felt like he was like one of the 20 best players in the league. He can heat Uh, up. That, that scares me more than anything, that 1-4 matchup where you just have a bunch of – first of all, they'd have home court. You'd have to win a game seven there. Um, but then they'd have the best player in the series. I'd never like that. And I, I feel like Giannis has another level to go to when we get to the playoffs because his athleticism and intensity now, even in the regular season, is really unusual. It reminds me of LeBron last decade and like LeBron's first MVP season, 09 maybe, where uh, – just playing really hard. He's such a good athlete. And it's just, you just, you turn on league pass. You're like, I know if I turn on this game, that guy's going to be playing hard. That goes up a level in the playoffs. I don't know what he's capable of. Like, could he go 30, 15, and seven in the playoffs? With more minutes, more shots. Played 40 minutes a game. And his efficiency too. I mean, he's, if not the best finisher around the rim, he's one of the best. He's he's in the top percentile around the rim. He's one of the, the best around the rim guys we've had. Maybe ever. Yeah. Because it's not just like he j- just dunks on guys with his right hand when he's, you know, when he has space, when he has a lane, he can dunk on dudes with either hand at any angle, anywhere on the court, no matter right. what move happened before it. Like he, and he has touch as well around the rim. Well, he's he also really, he's unbelievable. His he offensive is. rebounding late in games where, there's a shot and it's bouncing around the rim and he puts out one of his alien arms and like, just like <laughs> flicks it back toward him. And it's like, where did he, he's seven feet away from the basket. How did he do that? Uh, he's the best player in the conference. Greek, and Greek freak, really a perfect nickname when he answered the league, huh? hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. So for me, like if I'm a Bucks fan, first of all, the Bucks, the Bucks stats, have you seen some of the numbers with them? Which ones are we talking about? There's so many just impressive like point numbers. Differential and oh, yeah. like, uh, you could make a case through 55 games or whatever that just stats only. I'm not talking about eye test and that stuff that this is one of like the best 15 teams of all time. I know it's not, but just statistically, yeah, but looking statistically, at yeah, net rating, best ever net rating. There's a yeah. lot of good numbers in their favor that resemble teams like the 08 Celtics. Um, and I think they're actually going to get better. 
And then they had the best player in the league, or best player in the uh, conference, maybe the best player in the league. And uh, and to play Boston in round one, or round two would be great for them. And then they have Philly and Toronto beat the shit out of each other in that round two. And then probably play Toronto. I think that's, if I'm them, I don't want to play Toronto. That's the, they out of can, they everyone. They can match up against anybody, though. They, they, can, they can take on different forms. They can but play be smaller my choice. if they need to or bigger. That would be my choice for the team not to play if I'm them. Because I mean, you I, got the Kawhi. You have the Gasol thing, potentially. You have Lowry just being, just taking the Bledsoe matchup personally. There's there's little advantages for Toronto. Toronto has depth as well. Yeah. Too. Uh, I, I think that Toronto-Milwaukee matchup, I think those are... No stretch to say they're the two best teams in the East right now. Uh, I'm curious by the end of the season, entering the playoffs, is is there anything that can happen for Toronto, Boston, or Philadelphia that can change your mind about Milwaukee being the favorite in the East? I would say I think Philly is is what they are at this point. They're going to look great. I think they're one of those teams that's going to look awesome when it's 140 they, to 122. They have room to improve, though. They have room to improve. Though, they have like room to improve. Post-All-Star. I still think know. they're going to be up and down. They could be, They're gonna yeah. have a couple games where you're like, oh man, what happened there? And, and the Jimmy Butler thing is the all-time wild card. Celts, I just don't trust them. And I and because it's not just Hayward, it's also the Kyrie factor that you talked about earlier. There's a there's a malaise with this team that I just find it hard to believe it's just gonna go away after the All Star break. And it does not exist with Milwaukee. It does That's not exist sure. with Milwaukee. So. Milwaukee feels like one of those Boston teams with Isaiah Thomas in terms of the spirit and camaraderie, camaraderie that they play 100%. with. Everybody's happy to be there and they have a good coach and their fans are fired up. The odds right now, Toronto is plus 225, Milwaukee's plus 240, Philly's plus 280, and Boston's 3-1. to one. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They, they, you shouldn't have four favorites that are all 3-1 to one or under. What's interesting to me is I wouldn't want to play the Nets in round one. They're tough. You could beat them, but it, it's just that's a lot of work. <laughs> they're they're the ultimate example of the ringer curse. Oh my god! <laughs> Since your tweet, they're one of the best teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, well, they they were blowing all these games in the fourth quarter. And then, yeah. uh, but I mean, the big thing is Russell has turned into. I don't know what he is. I don't know what the ceiling is for him now. Well, he looks more like the guy that he was at Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, I, I think when it comes to like doing the draft stuff, you know, the draft guy that we have uh, coming out next month, I think we're doing an early version. But with the draft guy, like scouting players, I always wonder, like, when's the point they're going to start resembling the guy that they were in college? We're there right now with Russell, where he has these spectacular nights playmaking, sometimes some not so special ones, but solid ones, and the scoring ability from the perimeter. That's all there. Like check, check. That has translated at this point. It's about improving the weaker areas of his game. He still is a weak defender. He still does not get to the rim often. He still does draw, not draw many fouls. Those are areas that were areas of improvement. The free throw attempts is the red flag for he, me. Uh, I, I, I don't know if this still stands true, but I looked a couple weeks back and of guys to attempt over 17 shots per game, he had the lowest free throw rate ever. Yeah. Of guys to attempt that, that volume of shots. So, but I mean, the way a a lot lot of improvement to do in that area to become a guy who, like with Harden, like Harden, he's not going to become James Harden, but Harden can can get to the line, get to the rim at any time. Uh, Russell doesn't have that area of his game when the shot's not falling. I think what what's been special with him is his ability to create good shots from twenty five feet for himself, for others, and for others. But like, he's got that down, and that seems to be an increasingly important thing. But uh, 
it's interesting. Like, I think he's a max guy. You think his age and what we've seen in like even the Toronto game the other night, he's just going toe to toe with Toronto at the end of those games, making big shots. He's done that the whole season with his age and he could definitely be the focal point of an offense, I feel like. So you hear the next, it's like Katie and Kyrie or Katie and Kemba. For me, it's like, why not Katie and Russell? And how would those two work together? And would you rather bet on a kid who's... 22 or 23 who, who hasn't had surgery on a kneecap yeah versus yeah. Kyrie who's 20 who will be 27 next year he's still young though yeah. yeah but he's had a lot of miles on yeah. him already mm-hmm. and then Kemba who is what he is I think he is pretty much a fixed rate at this point but would it be better to roll the dice with Russell and hope that three years from now he's 25% better than he is now I think he's the most interesting free agent this summer I think it, to your point about him being a max player, I'm not sure everybody in the league would agree with that because of his weakness on defense. But but, so, but, but the thing is, he's going to get max money. It's yeah, happening. He he is, and it'll be curious. Too many to see, people have cap space. It'll be interesting to see what the Nets do. You think they match? I mean, it seems like they don't have another choice with with the way he plays. Um, and plus, with Russell, he can play against play with their other ball handlers, Karis Levert, Dinwiddie when he's back, who they got for a team friendly contract. Right, that was a nice within contract. his role. Um, KFC, my worst case scenario. Is Brooklyn beating the Celtics in round one, <laughs> which which would just be like what a way for the decade to end after the greatest trade of the decade, and we just pillage their lottery picks, and then somehow they beat us at the end of it. That's a fun scenario to think about. I, I would probably have to put my dad in a in a nursing home at that point. It might just be it. You just might have to be fed and taken to the bathroom by a nurse because that that'll be all it takes. F- followed by Kyrie leaving. Because with, with Boston, they have a crossroads this summer where they're either going to retain a, an elite player in Kyrie Irving and trade for a Hall of Famer, Anthony Davis, or that elite player is just going to leave and they're going to go back to having this young, nice, fun team, but that yeah, doesn't I, have I a real of, shot at the finals. Yeah. I'm on the fence with Kyrie. Half of me is just spiteful and wants to drive in the airport. So interesting. The other half well, is like, let's make this work. I mean, I think you have to try to make it work. With Listen, with I'm a spiteful guy and I'm used to winning championships, <laughs> KOC. We're on, a, we're on a run right now. Red Sox, Pats mm. have high expectations. Yep. I don't like the whole the the whole leadership. That I, I, I just can't get over it. Just shut up and play basketball. Stop. You're not a leader. Just stop. Um, last well, thing, you, ta- think, you think the Warriors... Oh, never mind. Okay. You think the yeah. Warriors can go 16 and 0? Playoffs. I would I would bet against that. However, you know, I posed that question in, in our Slack the other day. Like, what would the odds be if the Warriors were to go 16 and out? Like, how, what kind of odds could you get right now? Because if they're good odds, that might be something to bet on. Because I think you look at the way Draymond played. Last I think it's night, impossible. It's it's probably it's improbable. Here's why I think it's impossible. There's so many threes in these games now that you're just basically defying the odds that in 16 games, the other team's never going to go 22 for 34 from three or some crazy thing. That's why I think it's impossible. I certainly think they have the talent to do it, but I I don't think with the amount of threes people take now, the variance is just too crazy. And and that's what I mean. It's such a low possibility. What kind of odds could you get on it happening where they just get on this run where everybody's playing at their best? Uh, what oh, that's Sal. Oh, yeah. 
next time uh, we do this pot, I'll have an yeah. answer for this. Because I, I think with Draymond- I would say it's like 50 to 1, 75 to 1, something like that. Pretty good odds. If you, if you want to put every, money down, it's pretty good odds. Every home playoff game they have, they'll be like minus 700, minus 600, mm-hmm. minus 500. Yeah. So if you figure it out that way. Uh, what are you working on heading into uh, the All-Star break? Well, right. I mean, I'm working on some things that I'll try to work on at All-Star weekend. Just planning ahead on that. Um, and we'll figure it out after that. I intentionally didn't talk about Zion this podcast. Yeah, Zion is special. Best yeah. best prospect in seven years. Since AD. Yep. Uh, most exciting, most athletic, most talented. I'm I'm all of the above. Next time we do this, I will be ready to have the is he the best prospect since LeBron conversation. Over AD, over KD. Has he vaulted even? over AD and Durant? I don't know about over KD. Because KD's scoring from the perimeter that he had back then. If you're just talking about warts. Zion is like wartless. KD at least had the whole, God, he's so skinny. Is he ever going to put on weight? It was at least something that people were- Remember him playing two guard for the Sonics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, ah, is he ever going to be able to put on the weight? He's such a strange body. People, I personally was all in the mm-hmm. whole time, but I have not seen any case against Zion now. I think the he's only- He's like, he has this unassailable <laughs> basketball resume. The- Everything about him is a 10. Yeah. The only real knock is the jumper. But I think with him, with his projected role in the NBA, yeah. it's not a significant I like his weakness. jumper. It's like it's above average for yeah. his position and his role. Everything else is is either like very good or great or elite. Uh he's he he's gonna change a one lucky franchise this year. And you'd like Morant too, right? John Morant's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much I love him yet, but I yeah. do like him. I think with his playmaking and his athleticism, athleticism, you talk about Zion, the athlete that he is. Morant is that like in point guard form. Uh, he just pops. Uh, I think with Morant, he's like Westbrook level athlete. Sure, for a point yeah. Guard. And I think with Morant, like the question about Zion's jumper applies to Morant as well. But it's a it's a it's a greater area um, where you would like to have a plus jumper for a guard, a perimeter player, and Morant. Whereas Zion, you can use him in literally any role. He can be your playmaker with the ball in his hands. He can be used as a screener. He can do anything in the half court for you. Defensively, he's versatile. Center. He can be he, Draymond on defense. Oh, he's he plays with such effort and intensity. And that's the thing that's been like yeah. the talent. Like I think entering the season, obviously there was two things everybody knew, even ca- casual fans who didn't really see much besides uh, highlights. That he's an amazing dunker and that he clearly plays with effort, right? Yeah. But I, I, I think seeing it on the defensive end of the floor at the level that we have and how uh, hard he tries yeah, every play, I, it's like even I love that guy. It's like even more than 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 I think you would have expected. Never yeah. mind everything else that he does on offense. No, he's like and ball handling. It's special. You read about any of these dudes, and it's like who really genuinely gives a shit at all times. Those are the guys that always become the best. Zion this seems guy, to be on that list. He seems. It, the he, cool thing though is we have two guys in this draft that when they go to a team, that team immediately becomes fun. Oh, <laughs> Whatever yeah. their ceiling is, like whatever team gets Moran, it's like that's cool. He's on Orlando. That's fun. I'll watch Orlando now. And yeah, I think uh, it's uh, rare to have two guys uh, Moran, in one draft. Fultz backcourt, not a lot of shooting. Fultz. <laughs> the process 2.0. I really, uh, I really like that trait for Orlando. Me it's too. Worth the risk. He would have been on my team. It's, it's a it's a low risk with a high reward. Him or them or Phoenix should have been like battling for him. Uh, KOC, a pleasure as always. We'll see you in the ring. We're here on the Ringer NBA show. Yes. Tuesdays with uh, Chris Vernon and then Fridays with Sharks and uh, and Danny. Got He's like out of his mind with yeah. the rat. How did Danny become a Raptors he fan by the Toronto. way? He went but to Toronto. But that's it. He just likes yeah. the food there yeah. and he, he enjoys. Fell in love with the food. Felt like at home.
God, he's Danny for hire. Mm. That's what we should, you should call him Danny for hire in that podcast. <laughs> uh, KFC, thank you. Thank you, Bill. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion about Joe Flacco and the Knicks and most important, Game of Thrones odds that have come out for who's going to sit on the throne at the end of season eight. Wanted to mention a couple Ringer podcast things though. Um, some of the newer podcasts that we have, you probably know about the big picture. We've had that one running for a couple months now with Sean Fantasy. Oscar season, this is kind of the wheelhouse for the big picture. Uh, some interviews with great filmmakers as well as Ringer staffers and a whole bunch of things. Top five Steven Soderbergh movies last week. Check that out. Check out Tea Time on Fridays on channel 33. With uh, it's a little celebrity gossip. It is my daughter's hand out, hands down favorite Ringer podcast now. So check that one out, especially if you have kids. Maybe throw that one at them. Thirteen year old girls. It's their wheelhouse. Uh, bachelor party heating up with Julia Lippman as well. Fairway rolling. Joe House's um, golf podcast just put up another one this week, and then winging it. Vince Carter, Kent Bazemore, Annie Finberg, which was our new basketball podcast edition, and then the Recapables, True Detective. Wrapping up pretty soon. So if you want to catch up on that, check all of that out on the Ringer Podcast Network. All right, let's bring in Mallory and Jason. What a special day here. The Binge Mode crew is here. Yeah. Jason Concepcion, Mallory Rubin. Not that she didn't already have a hop in her step because we're going to talk Game of Thrones <laughs> odds for season eight. Asked you to come on this pod yesterday. Oh had no my. idea it was going to be Joe Flacco day. You had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. When you said farewell to me yesterday. But today when I saw you, it would be one of the best days of my life. It was, I walked into the cafeteria, <laughs> saw Mallory Rubin from across the way, standing under the, the uh, television that was playing ESPN in the news of Flyless Trade. And there was a glow coming off her. She was pumping her fist, extremely excited. Overjoyed, folks. I've been waiting for it for years. I've never seen... Anybody bring a Super Bowl and more joy to a human being who then turned on them completely and totally <laughs> like they were a terrorist. Drastic mischaracterization of <laughs> all really. the facts Not of really. both he won my a life Super Bowl. and Joe Flacco's life. Uh, he was on a Super Bowl winning team. That's true. He was on, he, he the greatest, <laughs> greatest four game run in the history of the playoffs. Bill, you know where one of those games was? It was in Denver. And guess what? Oh, I'm glad that those Denver fans got to see that pass to Jacoby Jones. Yeah. And I'm glad that they now get to watch Joe Flacco every Sunday instead of me. However, I feel compelled to note the irony. I am married to a Denver Broncos fan. Oh, Man. so he's so still he in has, your life. Which means that Joe Flacco is still in my life. He's still hanging around. It's still on my television. And or yet, this is just 2019. Just you're cleaning out all the men who've been in your life this decade. Maybe, maybe he's next. Jon Snow is that. All the men who have meant anything to you by 2019 might be a clean slate. Jason, Jorah, me, I we might all be out. I refuse to ever say goodbye to Jorah or Jon Snow. Uh -huh. but, but Adam, <laughs> I hope you're listening. <laughs> the, the Keenum Flacco QB platoon. Wow. I, Keenum's got to be battle. on the way out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a whole conversation to have about whether John Elway knows what he's doing. This is a very puzzling move. But So I, I was saying earlier, there's certain people that they win a title and it becomes hard to really criticize them mm -hmm. in every sport. Right. <laughs> and it's almost like they become, it, there's like a caveat, but I still think he's one of those people that he's terrible, but he happened to win a title. He did. It's one of those. Uh, Baltimore fans 
did they ever was there ever a moment where there was like a honeymoon after the after the the Super the Bowl? Flacco? We were like, you know what, Flacco sucks, but okay. Two answers to the question. Sure, yes. However, you also have to keep in mind that Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl with the yeah. Ravens, yeah. and then wasn't on the team the next year. Right. Proud tradition in Baltimore of saying farewell to the quarterback who happened to win a Super Bowl. Mm. So I don't think there was any, well, oh my God, this is inconceivable. How could right. you even conceive of it? However, I think most people, yours truly included, uh, appreciated what Joe Flacco did for the team for a very long time. And then as rational human beings who happen to know how to not only parse the data and the numbers of a contract, but also watch football games with our eyeballs, yeah, could say that the money hit on his most recent contract and the way that he was playing was a separate thing to consider totally independent of the Super Bowl. Those are different it was things. It a catastrophic contract. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, after Lamar Jackson's amazing playoff game, it was it was the writing was on the wall for Joe. And Lamar went five for 28 with <laughs> nine interceptions. Bill, I don't remember the uproar of put in the backup quarterback for Jared Goff at halftime tweets and slacks. Where was all that? Who was the Rams backup quarterback? Because yeah, I think you would have done better. It? I don't even know who that person is. Give Lamar time. Lamar is going to be a special player. I believe. I'm all in. And I he, believe and too. Yeah. The thing is. I'm in. He just sucked in that playoff game. It's he, fine. He was wonderful in the final few minutes when they actually let him throw the football and try to make plays. In garbage time. Did you did you watch <laughs> it? Almost won the game. Almost came back and won the game. Did a game in which the they Super made Bowl? no adjustments did after you playing see, the Chargers a couple weeks prior. Did you see our Lord and football savior Tom Brady win his sixth Super Bowl? <laughs> here we go. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing how we're right back here. Here we already. go. Three, three, ten minutes left. You know it was gonna happen now. <laughs> it's Brady time. We did know it was gonna happen, all of us. And that's why we're all so it's unhappy all the time. I know. <laughs> At some point. Everyone here will learn to appreciate excellence at some point and consistency and just superiority. <laughs> this is horrendous. <laughs> this uh, is a very Cersei esque vibe I, from Bill here. Oh, Man, wait, before we get to throw, between so, this and KOC and Slack, it's just very, very tough. <laughs> we're going to talk about Thrones, but I wanted to mention Jason Concepcion. For the first time I've known him, the Knicks are actually doing the right thing. Yeah. 17 straight <laughs> losses. Who's your franchise record, baby? Let's go. (laughs) Who's your tanking LVP right now? Who's the most important person in this tanking process for you? Most important person in the tank. Who's the guy you're relying on when it's a one point game with a minute left and you're like, don't worry, we got this guy. He's going to screw this up for us. You know, it's kind of, this is uncharitable. That would at this point be Dennis Smith Jr. That's uncharitable because he's been, I'm really liking the potential that he has and he's displaying some, um, really athletic moves and some skills that um, I think he can build on. But in a vacuum with this team, it's like having that guy go like, I'm going to take this over. Is I got this. I got this yeah. is kind of the best case scenario for a tank, considering the pieces around him. Also, DeAndre Jordan, who, um, you know, very gregarious guy. Yeah, um, great teammate. Doesn't his teammates love him? Doesn't mind losing. Doesn't mind losing. This is really an upbeat. <laughs> just wants uh, to make sure the checks are cashing. Just make sure those <laughs> things are cashing. Doesn't really move, <laughs> especially on the defensive end. He's a forty-two-year-old man, and but he's actually thirty. Uh, the most excitement I saw from him all season for the Mavs and for the Knicks is him celebrating Mario Hazonia's 
a baseline dunk on Marquise Chris. That's a bust on bust crime, folks. <laughs> Uh, where he just jumped up off the bench, jumped up on a teammate's back and was ran across uh, the, the floor when Hazonia was coming out and hugged him. I was like, man, look at that energy. Look at that crisp movement from DeAndre Jordan. Wow. Yeah, it's great. He's. I'm glad that he's only displaying that on the sidelines, not on the floor where it might affect the outcome of a game. Has Mallory. Dennis Smith Jr. sent any tweets recently about slanging that wood? Nothing about the wood. No? Slanging that wood. Slanging that wood in his slanging pants. Slanging that wood. My second favorite <laughs> basketball tweet of all time. Yeah, first one obviously it. being Ray Allen uh, thinking he was DMing yeah, yeah, somebody, right. but actually uh, tweeting oh, things that he was going to do to her genitals. Very tough. Incredible. And then <laughs> tweeting it that say he got hacked. My yeah. favorite moment of the decade. Man. Um, <laughs> the uh, When the Knicks, when we have the lottery, which I think is... Mm-hmm. Mid-May. Yeah. What do we do from a content standpoint from the ringer? Like, clearly we have to have all of our Nick fan employees in oh, the yeah. same room. It's a, the tense, We need the to watch them crumble when they realize left. they're not getting Zion. Or if How they get you? Zion, How it's, it's like the end of, end of like Rocky three. Like it would be incredible. Yeah, it's just like, would, just would that be cry. the happiest you've ever been about yeah, anything? I, I won't, my body won't know what to do <laughs> if that happens. Cause you, you've had no, the Knicks, no their joy. title was 73. You weren't 70, alive yet. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, when have they haven't won, they haven't been in the playoffs in a, in a while. And even then, it's like they haven't been to the they've been into the second round of the playoffs once in like twenty years. Yeah, that's it's a like, problem. So, I, I we need this. We haven't had a number one pick since Ewan. So we need this. So the greatest moments since of your lifetime, basically for the Knicks, are yeah. the LJ four point shot. Uh, that was yeah. Ewing the winning the lottery with Ewing. Yeah. Beating the Celtics in the Boston Garden Game Five. Yeah. When, right. When, right. When Ewing took the three that went in and stuff. Um, beating the Pacers in game seven. Yeah. And probably a couple other ones, but not a lot the last 20 years. Not anything that's like real that I, that was like, you could, that was foundational. Isaiah you know, Thomas Lin- getting fired. That was great. Linsanity is honestly the peak. Linsanity, I would say is the best. That's the best I felt about the Knicks. That was like something I could hold on to that felt real. <laughs> that was the best three weeks of my life. Oh, also, well. maybe the greatest Asian American sports moment of all time. Maybe. I mean, it's I'm certainly sure. the one that's remembered the most fondly when he, I know it's like, I talked to Chang and Cho about it once yeah. we we're having dinner and, and Cho doesn't know anything about basketball. He's like, that was the greatest was the thing greatest. that's ever happened. There's two moments that was like, I could die right now when he hit the game winner <laughs> against Toronto, which is mm. the true start of Linsanity. That's when yeah. it started. Yeah. And then when he put uh, Derek Fisher in the blender uh, during that game against the Lakers at MSG where he scored 38. That I could, I just could not even handle the energy that was coursing through my body. I remember, I think we were at Grantland. We had yeah. Jay Caspi and Kang, I think at MSG for the Lakers game, or he's in one of them. I'm pretty sure it was the Lakers game. And it was like the Venn diagram for every single thing Kang cared about to write about. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, I, we I, got like three weeks of content on Grantland just every day. Lynn related. And then all of a sudden at that, that game when Miami killed him right before the all-star break. Yeah, they really exposed him. At and that they point. were like, let's just take this guy out. He's yeah. not a good enough athlete. Um, the, the energy in New York city was unbelievable. You, I mean, you, it's like nothing you, 
I've ever experienced where you're walking down the street and you look up like into apartment buildings and you can see TVs that are like on MSG, like on, and you just can't wait to get home to watch the game. Because, That's like, Jason's version of most New Yorkers walking on the high line and watching people fuck in the standard hotel windows. It's <laughs> Jason's version of that. That's a real thing, actually. Uh, That's a real thing that happens. If Carmelo came back for the last 10 games of this Knicks season, are you happy, sad, delighted? Does he help the tanking? What happens? Oh, man. I... Farewell, Carmelo tour. You know, bring him home. I, uh, bring, bring him home. Bring him home. Ariana Lenarski, who is our terror reader for NBA desktop, uh, actually did. Mm. Uh, she did pull some cards that seem to suggest that he might come either to the Nets or the Knicks. So that it's in play. I love the terror reader. Incredible. She's incredible. Incredible. I honestly our feel own like Sybil Trelawney. She's an incredible person <laughs> with, uh, you know, she can really just tap into the universe's mysteries. Has she ever pulled a lightning struck tower card? No, but see, I, let me tell you, <laughs> and this is real. Bill, that's you, a Harry there's Potter There's a lot reference. of tension when you ask, like we asked, when we asked about Ennis Cantor, which is like actually like a life and death issue. Like yeah. I was like, oh my God, like if I see like a Grim Reaper card here, I may, we may just have to cut this and not do it like you I when she pulled the three of cups when I asked like if the Knicks would get the top pick I should you not my heart almost exploded what would happen could we do a thing where she reads nephew Kyle oh Oh, yeah no no, no, there's no question we could do a thing where she reads that would be some of the best content we've produced all year uh we're gonna take a quick break then we're gonna talk about thrones the new Microsoft Surface Pro 6 can help you get things done whether you're on the field or running a business Take Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin, two former NFL teammates who have opened a cupcake shop with the Surface Pro. They can do everything they need from setting schedules to creating promotions for social media and designing new flavors. Plus, it's light, super fast, has a great battery life. Brian and Michael are proving you can tackle all your passions with the power and speed of the new Surface Pro 6. Thrones. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know, but this, the, the show's wrapping up. This is, We're aware. this is it. Well We're aware. I'm actually worried about both of you. Concerning times. Yeah. This is almost like for <laughs> this would be the equivalent for me if like this was the last NBA season ever. Right. This is it. This is like this is it. I never get to watch basketball games. Like, what? What am I gonna well, do? There's a, there's a spin-off. The spin-off. And too much pressure on the spin-off already. Oh, well, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah I think okay. that's a good thing. Gotta keep and, the standards high. Yes. And also, not to get too sentimental and existential immediately. But I think we would agree that one of the things that's so special about this story and a lot of the stories that really unite a lot of people is they never really end, right? This will be there forever. Sure, the, oh my God, this is the last, like one of the last remaining bits of monoculture, the last thing that you you can't DVR, you have to watch on time or you won't be participating in the conversation Mm -hmm. in the moment. That will end. But this is a story that people are going to be talking about and sharing and forging communities around forever and hopefully we will get another book at some point george i think george has wins coming i'm on record as saying i think he gets wins out i think that happens and i think that will sustain the somebody gets sent george some drugs i mean i send him some adderall at least (laughs) um i I worry about his ticker honestly at his age if he starts in with the adderall at this point what's your fear factor with one being this is going to go great and 10 being the last season of Lost oh. on a scale of one to 10 for your fear factor for this season letting you down in some way. I mean, it's, it's considering like the half? topic we're about to talk about and some of the odds that we've seen from Vegas, my, I have, I, I have a, a high level of concern. High level of concern. I'm concerned. So you're like an eight and a half. I, I wouldn't put it 
that high. I would say like a solid seven. Ten is the entire I'm last gonna cast. It, I'm going to enjoy it no matter what. Yeah. Let me just say that. Yes. Um, but you is know, Kyle like, sick? Am I in the same room as a sick person right now? Oh yeah. Oh god. Kyle, you're <laughs> sick. Yeah. Oh my god. This is <laughs> sorry. I came to work, guys. Jesus. Can, wait, did you get that? Get the slack? No. Kyle. Oh my god. Oh man. We <laughs> have a when you're sick. Roll. Sorry. Continue. Jesus. So sorry, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna love it. Like, there's virtually it's nothing. That, nephew. There's nothing that the show could anywhere. do that would make me hate it. But you know, like, I like there's certain choices that there's certain things you'd love to see and certain things that you wouldn't like to see. So yeah, I'm concerned about them fumbling it to an extent. Nothing I, will be worse than the lost cast finding out that they were in purgatory the whole time. So, okay, this might shock you to hear. I'm slightly afraid to even say this out oh, no. loud. You liked it. I Yeah, I yeah. still kind of ride for the end of Lost. <laughs> like, because, and, and so that will lead into my next statement, which mm. is, even if it's disappointing, it's still going to be special. Right. Agreed. And I think when I am this invested in something, and I think when a lot of people are this invested in something, it cuts both ways. On the one hand, people have obsessed over every parse, every single aspect of the story, obsessed over it. Every theory that you could possibly think of is out there, which means that every possible outcome, every possible outcome is something that people have considered. And so there's the aspect of whether it will just be an ending that satisfies people or disappoints people. And what that even means at this point in the story, when subverting expectations was part of what made Game of Thrones special, do we want to subvert expectations at the end or do we want a happy ending? What do people even want? And that varies person to person. And so whether the particular end game and whatever an end game even is in a story with this many characters and this many plot lines is satisfying to each of us personally, I still think that this experience has been so special and it's one of the defining stories of our time. How bad can it really be? How bad can it really be? Of course, there are things to be concerned about. Right. I I think there's such a there's such a strong foundation that has been built to this point. Yeah, this is a yeah tight a Titanic achievement in pop culture. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, all right, they still have the most talent in the league. What could really go wrong? What could really we've and we've you know we've been doing our rewatch and it's it is really it's amazing how how the seasons they they hold up. Season one is incredible. I'm at the end of season two now. It's incredible. So great stuff. The one thing that's really changed and all indications seem to be that this is six episodes, but Uh each one is basically a movie. Right. So they're doing about 10 hours of content over six episodes. Mm -hmm. Why not just do 10 episodes? Uh, that are one hour. I don't know. I mean, last season was only seven episodes, you know, so that, that trend. And some of them were longer. Yeah. Already. But. Well, you see Weiss at the, at the basketball game. Can't you like. Baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Can't you ask him? Our our season starts in two weeks. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait till he's groggy at seven forty five in the morning and find out. It, well, no, my 10. guess would be it's, you know, they they probably only want to do so many episodes, but then as they were doing them, probably wanted to load stuff in, then yeah, kind of got out of hand. Just was weird though. It's weird to go from one hour shows to now movies for the last season. Yeah, I think part of it is probably about what is going to be in each of these episodes. You know, we can expect a lot of battles. We have two great wars, right? The war between the living and the dead and then the war between the the, the humans, the various houses, you know, Cersei against presumably John and, and Danny and whatever those respective contingents look like. They're going to want to build not only, I assume, the halves of the season, right. but each episode around some sort of massive set piece. And so to go with a more cinematic approach, I think makes sense. Also, on the one hand, there are 
an unbelievable amount of unanswered questions, which is exciting. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that we still have to find out. But also think of how many characters have been killed off, right? Think of how the cast and the world, you know, the globe of Game of Thrones has shrunk. We're ultimately dealing with a pretty contained set of people and plot points at this point. And so to put all those people in a couple places and say, we've got six weeks yep. where we're figuring it all out. I, I, of course, I wish there were more. I wanted to go on forever, but I, I understand the logic behind it. Will also, you they want to make Star Wars, right? Will you cry at the end? Oh, I'm going to be a fucking You're going to be on wreck. TV. You're going to be on the, our Twitter show. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a, like a sociological experiment. Of putting you on right <laughs> immediately after the last show. I'm going to be... A, Might even be medicated. I'm going to be an emotional wreck. I mean... It's mess. I, I, not even the end. I think every step along the way. If Ghost, my favorite direwolf, dies... Mm. I will not be capable of forming a coherent thought. I don't know what I'm going to do. I out think there. after announcing the death of Sir Pounce, which was completely unnecessary very and honestly tough. like very very aggressive, um, I think I just I, I hope that Ghost stays with us. When is the last episode? Well, the first episode is April 14th, Sunday, April 14th. So six weeks after that. So what? So that's like Memorial Day, right? 14th, no. 21st, 28th. No, that's like right around the lottery. That Man. could be like the most exciting week of your life. I, I will need to just be on like a lot of horse tranquilizer during that time. We, uh, so we have- uh, May 19th. Yeah. Isn't the lottery like right around there? Yeah, it's right. It's, it's like two days later. Yeah. Oh I don't God. know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying like paramedics here. I know. Um, all right. So we have odds. Mm-hmm. For who will rule Westeros at end of season eight, sit on the Iron Throne? These odds are from uh, a site I found, Sportsbook. Bran Stark, plus 150, yeah, our I'm favorite. Bet $100, you win 150. Yeah, so this one, we were, texting, we were texting quite a bit about this last night in, I'm in the Slack, talking to uh, our other fans of the shows. Um, and this choice is so out of left field that it feels like do they know do something? they know something yeah. so is that it's, concerning is that's yeah so that's the only that's the only conclusion you can we come should to. Say, so for the audience out there this is the star kid who can't move his legs and right and is also yes, not three-eyed raven and has also uh you know Pretty clearly given up his Stark identity. He considers himself to be, he is the Three-Eyed Raven. So he's essentially this kind of like magical steward of Westeros, of, of the connection between Nate, the natural world and, the, you know, the human world. He's, it's, it would be kind of a step down for him to be like, now I will govern the, the continent. In season seven, when Bran and, and Sansa are reunited, yeah. and she says, you're the Lord of Winterfell, and he flat out says, not interested. Yeah, I don't want That's the job. That's not my life anymore. And right. then the really heart-wrenching scene where he says, where he doesn't really say goodbye to Mira, she says yeah. goodbye to him, and he's just like, I'm not Bran Stark anymore. That right. is a relic of another yes. life. I am the Three-Eyed Raven. That's right. This is my life now. This is my responsibility. I see across time. So- I think in terms of just the evolution of the plot and Bran's character, that's partially why people had moved beyond considering him as an actual who will rule at the end. A little candidate. too spacey to be on for the day to day in King's So these ads were immediately suspicious to you and yes. you feel like there's some inside info potential. Well, there. Why would you make that choice is, you know, 
There are two possibilities, right. I think. One is the most alarming, which is that they know something. They know something. Vegas knows something. I almost well, think about like how many people would have to know what happened in the last episode. So if you have a crew, right. even if you film like whatever the last scene is or or whatever, um, I would think it would be at least a hundred people would know. Probably oh, more. probably more. Probably and more. I mean, we should say just for full transparency and clarity, we have no idea. We have you no know, idea. first of all, we have not seen any leaks. And when there are leaks, like there were rampant leaks in season seven, we try really hard to avoid them because yeah. that's not how either of us want to experience the story 100%. and find out what happens. Have not seen the same internet leak spoiler surge heading into season tight. eight, which is encouraging. So on the one hand, there hasn't been that kind of buzz. Maybe do you think not, they would do like the film the three different endings to throw people off the scent move? Well, I don't, I don't think they have time to do that. There, there were a lot of rumors when they were filming the season that you know they were going to feed a, a right. dialogue directly into the actors' right. earpieces, so there weren't even scripts. They were going to have multiple uh, scenes that they acted yeah. out, different endings for different episodes, so that they could throw people off the scent. It was only, I, I don't know how much of that was bullshit. Yeah, I think a lot of it was probably just an effort to say, oh, we're going to make sure that no information can can be considered real but i don't know this is just such a strange I, we should also say odds that, on favorite we should also say that uh you know um there's that there's an interview with why can't i remember the actress who plays sansa stark's name all sophie turner sophie, one of my tattoo idols right there's an interview with sophie turner where she's like oh i told my friends the ending <laughs> so like it's it's out there sure there's like it's like on the streets. So you get Sophie Turner and put a couple of drinks in her okay, at the Soho house and she's telling five I have, people. I have a couple, I have a question. You're, you're a gambling expert. So yeah. this yeah. isn't like a, this isn't a sporting event where the outcome is not known right. and it is based it's on known. parsing information. Like the outcome of Game of Thrones is known to people as you're saying. But if something has leaked and is at a certain point accessible to the masses, they would take it off the board. Right. So, so nothing is leaked not, yet. And that, that gives me hope. So because I'll, they actually took Game of Seven or Game of Thrones season seven that's odds true. down that's true. when the leaks started. I'll rip through I the odds and then we can go through sure. just for the audience. Jon Snow is two to one. Okay. The mother. Not this mother, the other mother. Three to one. <laughs> I think those are Daenerys. Essentially correct. Sansa Stark, my favorite pick. Mm, mm. Seven to one. I like it. She's I just like back. the odds. I like the yeah. seven to one. I, I get some value on that. <laughs> the Night King is also seven to one. This is so funny to see this. That's the other thing we have to talk about. With yeah, Bran. we, okay. talk we about need that. to circle uh, back to that in a minute with Bran. Tyrion Lannister, eight to one. Interesting. It's Arya not happen, is no sixteen to one. Hmm. So is Cersei. And then it, it gets silly after that. Gendry, Jamie, Sam. Yeah, there's yeah, sixteen Davos. to one. Hmm. Jamie's sixteen to one with his one arm. Gendry actually Sam's has a, has, has a better path than you think. I'll just say that. But well, that, Gendry um, is King Robert's son. Yeah. All right, so Jon Snow is two to one. I just, I, I gotta say, Arya at sixteen to one, just from the arc of her, mm -hmm. that wouldn't shock me either as a value bet. I, but it seems like when I saw this, I just assumed Jon Snow was going to be the favorite, sure. and I was surprised that he was not so the favorite. Can we circle back to the the brand thing for one more second? Yeah. Because I think. Ruling out any sort of leak or inside information, right. trying to figure out what could be fueling Bran as the winner here. There's only one answer, okay. and it's the night. It's the Bran as the night king. The Bran theory, is the night king, theory. which is, I think, at this point, the most prevalent and parsed remaining Game of Thrones. Can you do theory. that theory in 20 seconds? It's that Bran, who is a warg, right, 
at some point there 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 are very uh there are variations of it there's a brand is was the mad king theory brand is all of the brandon right. stark's theory there are various theories about brand traveling across time and into people's minds but the night king one specifically is that brand will at some point or did at some point warg back across time and into the night king's mind and then became him right in essence that's one of the versions of it so what happens if you bet so you'd win both bets? Well, that's the question. That's the question. That's, that's why, confusing. Is that the reason why Bran is so high? But you know the Night I mean? King is also listed at seven to one. Well, it's also like, does that mean that Bran will be an ally for good? Right. Who is able to, because will Bran warg a dragon has also been one of the main Game of Thrones mm-hmm. theories for years. And when, obviously spoiler alerts for anybody listening at Come this on. point, but when Viserion, Danny's third dragon was killed by the night king and tragic then day the night yeah, king, it tragic. was a tragic it day it was a truly be- tough day never when, been more upset about a dead dragon <laughs> in my life very upsetting the night king raised viserion he is his steed now and it's like okay well that doesn't mean that the the brand working a dragon theory is dead because could brand work viserion as yeah. an undead dragon that's still in place so there are all these different super fantastical mythologically driven theories involving Bran, maybe he takes over the Night King and eliminates the Night King. But also then there's the question of what does the Night King want? Maybe he becomes the Night King and becomes a soldier of evil. Bran is crucially not in the season eight trailer that is that features right. so John, that Sansa, and Arya in the crypts of Winterfell, clearly positioning John, who we, we know now is a, a, a Targaryen and a Stark, the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna, Positioning John as a Stark, and the show is in many ways about identity and choice, right. and so saying John will still choose to align as a Stark, hopefully, or at least in part. Where's Bran? Well, one of the theories is that Bran is there when the, cold, the cold wind, the cold wind, the cold from icy the Night King enters, mist coming in. Yeah, very upsetting. I personally do not want this theory to be true. Yeah. So, which out of these ones? Well, let's go here. Sure. Who do you want to be on the Iron Throne? John. Yeah. So John two to one. That's what you think too, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see that. I think it just, you know, this whole, there's a lot of like thematic elements, but John's identity, where he comes from, his lineage is in many ways, the primary mystery of this story. I mean, it's the thing that when George sat down with uh, Benioff and Weiss the first time Mm -hmm. when they were like, we want to make your uh, story a show. He asked them to close the meeting. So who's John's who's John's mother? Right. And they gave him the correct answer. So that's that's the key to all of this. So I think it, it it would just be it would just be perfect if John was on the throne at the end. Why couldn't it be the mother of dragons? It could be. It certainly could be. It could be. I think the shocking uh absence on this board here is the baby, John and Danny's baby. Because Danny's definitely pregnant. A hundred percent. The womb is quickening. The womb is quickening. <laughs> the womb is quickening, folks. They made love several times on, on the a boat. boat. Sex boat. Right. For sure. That's right. a normal thing to do with your aunt. Right. Goalie pulled. To be fair, he because... didn't know that at the time that she was his aunt. So that'll be a tough thing for them to find out. They'll the... find out when the baby has seven arms. Well, well that's you know, a lot hap- of incest has... babies. A lot of incest babies. <laughs> that, has fire. that has happened in the history of the Targaryen family. Not seven arms, but winged children and, uh, you know, other other. And Joffrey. Not great Just stuff. Joffrey's psychotic personality. One thing in favor of Bran, though. Yeah. 
I'm just really, I can't get this brand thing out of my head. Yeah. In many ways, fundamentally, what is the story about? Cripples, bastards, and broken things, right? The Tyrion idea. And so in that sense, Bran has always been one of the emotional through lines of the show. One of our laments about recent trajectories of the show is moving away from Bran. They sidelined him for but so that's one of the things Full that I, I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. Bran was literally absent from an entire season of the show. He's going to win at the end? That yeah. just doesn't track. So counter, mm-hmm. first episode, mm-hmm. he's in probably the one of the five most memorable scenes in the show's history and gets and seems like he felt yeah. his death. The, and then if it all came around and he's in charge at the end, it's... That would tie into totally. The first that's my, that's kind of my point. Is like uh, in terms of the the fundamental identity of the show and the story, it makes sense. But in terms of yeah. how the show has actually positioned Bran in recent seasons, yeah, why not? Why not so. give him a little right. more he's PT? Been, he's been shunted. Yeah, he's been shunted off to the sidelines for significant amounts of time. And even when he has come back, you know, it's kind of like uh, the show has at times <clears throat> we feel struggled to uh, kind of tap into the fantasy elements that Rand's character personifies. Mm-hmm. So you think the baby should be on the board? I think the baby should be on the board. Absolutely. The baby should be on the yeah. board. Absolutely. What do we call that baby? The song of ice and fire. Yeah. Ice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, John is the song of ice and fire really, which is again, why John Who should can be we the cross off? favorite. Can we cross off Tyrion? We can cross off Cersei because Cersei's going to die. Yeah, Cersei's going to die. I would be absolutely stunned if Cersei did not die. Stunned. Yeah, Nothing that they could do in season eight would shock me more than Cersei not dying. And Cersei living? Yeah. Yeah. For various reasons, the Valancourt prophecy, of yeah. course, Maggie the Frog's prophecy. Will Cersei die in childbirth? Uh, No, I don't think so. I, I would. I mean, it's got to be Jamie, right? I hope so. I it's hope Jamie dies. That's too who, perfect. Who else, if you had to do these people, are going to die odds? Um, so Davos, her, who, Davos who I love, yeah, is, seems like he's fattened up for the for the for the execution. Um, I'm not sure that Cersei or Jamie will make it out. I yeah, I have a hard time imagining either of them. I could kind of see a parlay where they die in the same scene together. Well, the uh, one of our favorite theories is right. that Jamie will kill Cersei. Ooh. This is a this is a prophecy that exists in the book yeah. that exists in part in the show, but they kind of took the, the They took the Valonqar part out. Yeah. But so it's basically that, uh, you know, uh, Cersei will die with uh, the hands of this person around her neck. And the word in, in High Valerian Valonqar means little brother. And right. Jamie is technically younger than Cersei. By, mi- so by like minutes. She has always thought it referred to Tyrion. Which is part of, part of why, not only, but part of why she's loathed him and feared him. But could it be the Jamie? Show ends, what a twist. And then he becomes the Sawyer of this decade. Yeah. <laughs> Handsome guy that everybody loves who just could never find another show. Oh, he'll be great. He's great. Isn't he in a prison movie you like? I love that movie. <laughs> Shane, I love that movie. What was this? Sh- Shot Caller? Shot Caller. Yeah. Shot Caller was good. Um, couple other ones. Make the why can't Arya become Iron Throne person? I mean, she she has a path to it. She's got the royal blood. She's got the strong lineage. Um, obviously, very good at the sword play now. Really great with the swords. I just think it's not it. It's possible, but it would be highly unlikely. It's not in her nature for one. That's she the key want to me. That's the key to me. She doesn't all. want it. She would be absolutely spurnful of it. Do you think that Benioff and Weiss? 
knew how this was going to end when they started the show? Or do you think no. this was a lost situation where they figured it out as the show was evolving? Well, they had that summit meeting yeah. with George, I think before season six, I want to say, where they basically uh, <laughs> waylaid George at his Santa Fe compound and were like, <laughs> tell us everything that you know about how this story goes forward from right. here on out. And they spent like a couple of days or however long it was just, you know, downloading information from him. So what if you could have been in the room for that entire summit, how many years would you give up at the end of your life? Oh man. Like, would you give up like a year, like the last year, just died <sighs> one year early, but you're in the, you're in for the entire how summit. How many total years do I have? Yeah. In and what's scenario? my quality? What's the quality <laughs> like? If it, if it's one year where it's kind of like, Let's you know, you're in the 90. <laughs> 90? Yeah, you're so getting I'm, to 90. I'm, okay, so I'm choosing- Because at that point, Postmates will just be, they'll have be full service for you. <laughs> 89. 89. You just died 89 instead George, of 90. How the story ends. You know everything. You're How's there it? for the whole meeting. They even a couple times look over and like, hey, Mal. <laughs> what do you, what think, do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> what do you I might choose here? that. I think I would you choose take that. take a year? Yeah, because I have no, I mean, I, I believe in George and I feel really bad that so many people spend so much of their time judging him for yeah. not having finished. I think it just must be a devastating thing for him to have to shoulder. And I root for him and I believe in him. Mm. I do not think that he will finish the seventh I book. I, I don't think he'll finish the seventh And book. hearing it from him will be really special. However, I think we also have to note that the, the complicating factor here is that George doesn't know how the story's going to end. That's the thing. Like, here's let's the, be real here. If he knew, he would have finished the books. Right. That's the, <laughs> that's the issue. If George knew how to finish the books, he would have written it. So he right. doesn't, there is, whatever the ending, he may have, you know, a general direction that he wants to go and this character and this character are doing this, but he has no real idea how to get there. That much is clear. Yes. And also just the sheer volume of. There's a lot. Plot. Yeah, and lot. the plot points and the character, the first person perspective narratives that he has to maintain at this the, point. And people who have read the books understand that the, the they have widened in scope dramatically, particularly from the third book to the fourth, that it's just it's hard to land this plane, man. All right. Let's make a gambling recommendation once and for all. <sighs> What is the best bet on the board? I think it's I think it's John. Snow. I think it's John also. John Snow two to one. Yeah, yeah. That's your recommendation. The, Do you have one long shot pick for us? Uh Gendry. 25. I don't actually see that happening, but it's right. the, sixteen to one. It's right. the most defensible long shot here because he is King Robert's bastard son. I'm tempted to try to make a case for Sam. Though, ultimately, I think we we probably are in agreement that Sam That's is ludicrous. I don't yeah. even I, Sam totally is going to occupy the George role, which yeah. is yeah. he's going to write the history, the history, the history in the in the in the actual yeah. story. He will write. So a Sam's song of George's Ice and Fire. proxy. Yes, yeah. exactly. I don't know. <sighs> what do you think, Jay? Do you see a long shot that's actually? I mean, convincing? Gendry again. I agree with with your take that it's it's within the realm of possibility. Though I do not think that will happen. Um, yeah, I, it's, all right. I, it's hard to call Sansa a long, a long shot at, at, you heard it from the binge mode crew, John Snow two to it. one. When does, uh, we're doing, can you give tip people off on a couple of things we're working on? Sure. Uh, binge mode Thrones comes back for the actual season. Binge mode game of Thrones, which is April 14th. 14th. We'll Not be that back. far away. We'll be back. 
doing little, a preview a before show before that. Before that. Yeah. Before that. In some capacity. We'll be with you every week for season eight. And then we've got some, some, a lot of fun stuff coming on the ringer.com. Some, a great some really website. fun video stuff. A lot of ready. fun videos. Uh, Jason has um, been asking about a costume budget. So prepare accordingly. Costume budget. <laughs> Interesting. Costume budget. <laughs> it's actually a, it's that's a requ- come across my desk. Yet. <laughs> it's that a requirement. Absolutely. You need, need the costume budget. What do you need? What, what's your number one costume thing? Uh, I, I would like a Jon Snow uh, Night's Watch. I'd also he like wants a, a full animatronic dragon. I'd love a King Jon Snow also. <laughs> a, you know, some wildling, throw some wildling fits in there mm, and maybe like a yeah. Maester's, uh, Archmaester's chain. The Valerian link, the whole thing. He wants a full recreation of John and Egret's sex cave. Wow. Sulfur intention all. Smells better in the cave than anywhere else. Um, and when do we think Game of Thrones was? Like 1300s? This Wait, is, what decade this was is it? This is the absolute best thing in the world. The 1280s? You tell us, Bill. I, I love it. I think it. like 1300s. I think it's yeah. after the Vikings. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh-huh. But I think it's well before like when we created Thanksgiving and things like that. Okay. So I'm going to say like 1300s. So you're you're anticipating a Battlestar Galactica Planet of the Apes style ending where right. we realize that this has been our universe all along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1300s. Sure. Seems fair. Sure. Could build stuff by then. Incredible. Uh, I want on the season finale when we're on Twitter and you're already melting down and we we have a very special guest and it's going to be Joe Flacco. And that'll be it. Your head oh will explode. And then we'll have to replace Probably a it. very nice man. I'm sure Joe Flacco is a delight. He's a nice man. I'm sure he's a delight. <laughs> um, Show me what he can do with a Valerian steel sword and then get back to me. <laughs> Jason Mallory, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Bill. All right. Thanks to KOC. Thanks to Mallory. Thanks to Jason. Thanks to Gordon Hayward for making me happy last night. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to New York Times Crossword. If you have two minutes, play the New York Times mini crossword. A fun way to stay sharp when you're not busy. The satisfaction of solving is endless. Wordplay every day. Taking a break with the mini is time well spent. Download the New York Times Crossword app at nytimes.com slash Mini, we are back with one more podcast later in the week. Until then.